Welcome to the podcast, Babies Out. Now what? I'm Katha McMaster, a parent, grandmother, midwife, and partner to my husband, Ken. Through these short 10 to 15 minute podcasts, I'll have some very informative guests and we will share tips, information, resources, tools, and much more to help you, your partner, and family welcome your new little human. I hear from many people about their becoming a parent for the first time or adding to their family. There are joys, worries, opportunities, and challenges for certain. The content of these podcasts are not clinical in nature, though we may discuss normal physiological details related to pregnancy, postpartum, breastfeeding, and newborn behavior. Always consult your healthcare provider for assessment and advice if you have any concerns about yourself or your baby. Go to our website, www.babiesout.com, and download the journal with accompanying questions, discussion topics, resources, and tools for your use electronically or as a hard copy. The journal is low cost, but you will find value in it as you consider the topics we are covering. Use it as a guide with your partner. Some of you may wish to have one-on-one discussion time with me or one of my guests. There is a Work With Me tab for registration on the website, www.babiesout.com. Now join me and let's consider Babies Out. Now what? We are going to talk about day one of the babies and your life. Uh, Today I have my guest, Dr. Inara McMaster. She's a board-certified pediatrician, has done special work in quality improvement for newborn intensive care units, has been involved in the Eat, Sleep, and Console project, and has also participated in the Committee for Human Donor Breast Bank. Thank you for joining me again, Inara. Thank you for having me. Today I thought first we'd talk about some of the normal screens that are done and offered to parents for their babies. So there's one done throughout Canada uh, mm-hmm. called the normal newborn screening it used to be called a PKU test. So this is a little screen where your baby's heel is going to get pricked and we're going to collect five lots of blood. This is sent into analysis for 30 different metabolic disorders that if the baby is treated for in the first week or so of life, the long-term outcomes can be more positive. If they're not treated in those first few weeks, then they can have major negative outcomes for the child. So this is a screen offered to everybody. The other screen we do is congenital heart defect screen. So we simply put an oximeter or an oxygen saturation band on the baby's right hand and one of the feet. And we want to see a difference of less than 3% between those two limbs of the baby. And this is saving about 80 to 100 babies a year in Ontario. I can speak to that number by detecting congenital heart defects early before they're at a crisis point, which can often happen about day three to five. The other screen that's done is a bilirubin screen. So generally at 24 hours, we have a little meter. We can press on the baby's sternum five times and it gets free. Or we can even collect a little bit of blood and send it to the lab and see what is the bilirubin level in the baby. Can you explain bilirubin and the risk of jaundice for babies? Yeah, of course. So bilirubin might sound like a weird word that you've never heard of. Oftentimes we just call it jaundice if we're talking to you. So bilirubin is the actual name of the molecule that causes a baby to turn yellow. This happens when 
red blood cells break down. So even if your red blood cells break down, you produce bilirubin as well, okay? There's many reasons why red blood cells break down. For newborns, it's normal. Newborns have a different form of red blood cells in their body. This has a higher affinity, means it likes oxygen a lot more. And this is because when they're inside of you, you've already breathed some oxygen and used it before it got to the baby. So they needed to be able to grab all that oxygen. But now that they're out, they don't need to do that anymore. And so they change over normally to the adult form of hemoglobin or the red blood cells in order to be able to just function like normal, you and me. So in this time period, what is happening, the red blood cells are actually breaking down quite quickly. And one of the byproducts of that is the bilirubin. And combined with this, in the first about three to seven days of life, a baby's liver isn't fully functioning. And there's an enzyme in the liver that is needed to process the bilirubin and get rid of it. If you don't process it quickly enough, then you get jaundice, you start to turn yellow. Oftentimes, this is very normal and completely harmless, is there is the risk that if the level gets high enough, it can actually go into the brain and cause permanent brain damage. Now, this is quite rare, but it is something that we screen for in every single baby. Now, when we were looking at part one, we were just discussing the first hours of life, and I hadn't brought up that if your baby does become yellow in that first 24 hours of life, this is always abnormal and it needs to be asked immediately. This is not something that you wait a couple hours for. It is always abnormal. Now babies start to get jaundice, unlike adults. Um, adults just turn yellow all over, all at once. We just slowly get more and more yellow. And you'll see this when some people who have liver problems, they start to turn yellow all over their body and their eyes and the whites of their eyes. Babies actually start to turn yellow from their skin. So it starts in their skin and their head and moves down as it worsens to the feet. And then usually the last part, if it's going to turn, and normally it doesn't turn in many babies, is the whites of the eyes will turn yellow. Now, best way to see whether your baby is yellow or not is natural light. Even fluorescent lights are good. And one thing that I do like to do, because sometimes it can be hard, is your baby yellow or is this their skin tone? So you can actually look at the bottom of their foot. And if you press on it for a few seconds, so you blanch it and you see the color, that should be the same color that matches on their face and their chest. So if you are comparing them and you are noting that your baby has jaundice already within that first 24 hours of life, you need to go and get your baby seen immediately. Very good, thank you for that explanation. We were talking about feeding in the first part of this podcast. And as your baby's approaching 24 hours of life, you may get into a couple of situations. One is this baby may be really interested in cluster feeding. So if you're breastfeeding, they're going to wanna go on every hour, every hour and a half. You just finish a feed and they already want to eat again. This serves a really great purpose. This is getting your breast and your memory tissues ready and preparing them and signaling your brain 
to produce milk for the following 24-hour period and to start your production moving forward. So you want to get this baby to breast at least every two hours, but sometimes babies will just naturally go into a cluster feed and insist on being fed even more frequently than that. If your baby's formula feeding, then this is the time to start doing regular feeding every two to two and a half hours. You can certainly share those bottle feeds with siblings or with your partner as well so that you get a chance to have a break as well. The sleep pattern for this baby. Day one, we kind of say, you know, let the baby sleep if they're going to sleep. They're going to wake to feed and sleep when they sleep for sure. And you want to continue that and think about what was the pattern of this baby in utero. So when you were pregnant, you probably had times when the baby was very busy and times when the baby was very quiet. Think about the times of day that that happened. That's likely to be the times of day your baby's going to take a little longer sleep. So you can take advantage of that. Do you have any tips on safe sleep or co-sleeping with a baby? So in terms of safe sleep, a baby should always be placed on their back to go to sleep, never on their stomach. And they shouldn't have a lot of extra things in their bassinet or crib. There should not be stuffed animals. There shouldn't be fluffy blankets. Don't use baby bumpers. There's a lot of products out there that are in the store, in the baby section that are advertised that are not safe. They're very cute. They look adorable and great on social media, but they're very dangerous for your baby. So really the only thing that should be in your crib or your bassinet with your baby is your baby on their back with the one single blanket that they are swaddled in and nothing more. Some people are using sleep sacks. And so they have their baby in a, a sleeper and slide them into the sleep sack, which buttons at the shoulders. And that's very protective of baby, minimizes the excess fabric that they might get tangled in as they sleep and move around. Absolutely. I love sleep slacks. They're fantastic. <laughs> now, co-sleeping is a thing. And so some of the guidelines that I talk about is having a space. You can get an extension for your bed where the baby is actually not on your mattress in their own little mattress. And it's very convenient for breastfeeding. It's close to having them in your bed with you, but safer for the baby space-wise. I also talk about the fact that if you are on pain medication, even if it is Tylenol and ibuprofen or anything else that you may have been prescribed post-C-section, you certainly don't want to sleep with your baby very close to you because you're not going to be as aware of your baby. If your partner or you have used marijuana or any other non-prescribed substances, it's also a good thing to avoid co-sleeping with your baby because of the lack of awareness of them. Alcohol is another element to avoid if you're going to have your baby actually co-sleep with you or to be close by in that adjacent bed. Do you have any other thoughts on that? I do. I just want you to keep in mind that you're going to be very sleep deprived. So you don't sleep like you slept before the baby came. You know, you may think I'm a light sleeper. I wake up a lot. This won't be a problem. Just remember this is a level of sleep deprivation that you've not probably experienced if this is your first baby. And our bodies really need sleep. So it's not recommended to co-sleep because you just may not be aware. And it's 
part of it. It's not even that it's just you and your physical body aren't aware. You can flip blankets on top of your baby and you don't know. You can flip a pillow on top of your baby. And so just to keep that in mind, this is a new experience for your body. You're going to be exhausted from giving birth. There are major hormonal changes going on. And then on top of it, you're sleep deprived. Bonding with your baby is something that can be done when you're awake and being able to actively be with your baby. But just to be very aware that when we sleep, we sometimes just aren't aware of what's going on. Very good. Thank you for that. Now, what about introducing this baby to siblings or other family members? Often we see grandparents immediately show up and aunts and uncles and cousins and everyone else. So what are some of the guidelines that people should follow at this point in time? Well, right now, especially with all of the respiratory viruses like COVID and depending on when you're listening to this, we could be going into respiratory season for children. You know, a lot of other viruses out there that cause these things. So general rule of thumb, if somebody is sick and has symptoms, don't have them around. If it's a respiratory cold, cough, cold, if they have a GI bug, vomiting, diarrhea, they need to have no symptoms for a minimum of 48 hours before they can come over. And everybody, if they're healthy, it's really up to you if they come or not, even if they're healthy, have them wash their hands before, you know, handling your baby and things like that. And it comes down to your comfort level. If an individual is at home most of the time, doesn't have many exposures, and you feel comfortable with it, okay. If it's somebody who works in a daycare, you may want to have them wear a mask and wash their hands. Now, that does get a little tricky if you have other young ones who maybe go to daycare or come home sick. Uh, all I can say is do your absolute best. <laughs> so if they're very, very sick, having them wash their hands, they can wear a mask if they're around the baby, and do your best to sort of keep them as separated as possible. But just realize that it, it is difficult. If we're just talking about how do you introduce your baby to one of your other children, you want to include your other child or children in the care of that your new baby. And you want to make sure that your other child or children don't feel left out. They don't get jealous of this new one. So, you know, have them help with feedings and wrapping the baby up and dressing them and undressing them and give them lots of praise and thanks for doing that. And another very important thing to remember is that you may feel consumed by this new baby, but you still need to make one-on-one -on -one time for your other children every day. And that means with your partner too. So, you know, tag team this. <laughs> your partner, 30 minutes of just one-on-one -on -one time with your other child every day. And then switch off. Your partner gets to take care of the baby and you spend 30 minutes one-on-one -on -one time so that they don't feel like they're being rejected and they're losing you. They need that reassurance as well, especially if they're toddlers. And so really getting them involved, being reassuring, giving them lots of comfort and love. And then that one-on-one -on -one time will really help to minimize the risk of them 
rejecting this new baby, which is a huge shift in their life. In this first series of 10 podcasts, uh, welcoming a sibling is going to be one of the topics we're going to be focusing on. So please join us for that one and look for that being released. The other issue with visitors, whether they're family members, friends, what have you, that sometimes people do smoke. And so some of the recommendations to minimize smoke exposure for your baby is to ask these people to brush their teeth, to wash their hands, perhaps even change their clothes. If the smoker is your partner or even yourself, think about if you've been out for a smoke and to smoke outside of the home is best you can. Then also when you come in to change your shirt, to wash your hands and do these simple steps to protect your baby from exposure to cigarette, cigar, whatever smoke that may be in your home. Do you have any thoughts on that? I agree with all of that. Definitely smoking outside the home. If you can try to quit smoking, that is obviously the ideal for your personal health as well as the health of your baby. But really just minimizing the exposure for your baby is key. So having a specific jacket that you wear outside when you smoke that lives outside. So you put it on, you go outside, you have your smoke, you take it off, leave it outside, come in, wash your hands, consider changing your clothes, brush your teeth, and then you can go back to the baby. That's really recommended for anybody. Smoking inside the home is never recommended with babies or children in the house because of the secondhand smoke exposure. And definitely not smoke in the car with them or any enclosed space. And smoking marijuana is something that is quite common, especially some people use it for dealing with anxiety or depression or other reasons or just recreational. And that would apply as well for marijuana smokers, all of these steps. The other thing with marijuana is to make sure that you are storing it someplace up and safe and perhaps even locked. Not necessarily for this baby on day one, but certainly for siblings. And as this baby gets to crawl around, keep those things up higher. Um, the other piece to think of is if you are smoking marijuana, that there's always one completely sober person in the house. And that goes for everything. If one parent is drinking, the other one is sober. And if you are doing other drugs, make sure that there's always one sober adult that is aware of the baby and your other children at all times. Very good. Good advice for every household to consider. Now for mom on day one, some of the things you want to be watching for is your bleeding. So be aware that this would be like a very heavy period. If you soak a pad in less than an hour, then you want to alert your midwife, your family physician, or your obstetrician because you may be having a postpartum hemorrhage. Those are most common on day one, on day 10, and at six weeks. Remember, when you had this baby, the placenta was attached to your uterus. And if you had the opportunity to see your placenta, you'll see that it was probably about six to eight inches across. That's a huge wound. Now, even though your uterus has shrunk, you still have a wound in there to heal. And when you are active too early after delivering your baby, you can rub the site off and you can experience increased bleeding. So if you've had a decrease in bleeding and now all of a sudden you see it's increased and it's bright red again, you've probably been doing too much. So use this as a bit of a measuring stick on how soon should I go and take that walk or 
climb up and down the stairs to do the laundry or some of those other routine activities. Make sure you build some support network as well to assist with some of these things. You may see clots the day after or up to three to five days after delivery, and this is quite common. One the size of your fist is okay, two are not. You'll see smaller ones, size of grapes or plums or lemons, and those are okay, but you don't want any large clots to continuously be dispelled from your uterus. Sometimes nipples get sore, and there's wonderful creams out there to help with that. So just ask your midwife, your family provider, or your obstetrician. There's some great products that are honey-based and pasteurized, so you can use those, and they're great for healing if you don't want to go to a medicinal ointment for your nipples. Breasts may begin to become firm as your milk starts to come in. This is called engorgement. And engorgement can be managed by going into a hot shower and doing some massage. Remember, you have mammary glands all the way up into your collarbone and into your armpit. Sometimes people feel like they have a golf ball in there. Just start the massage there when your baby's breastfeeding and you will massage the colostrum and the incoming milk down and you can avoid any infection, which is called mastitis. The other thing to think about as you're approaching day one is, have you had your first bowel movement? If you had a vaginal delivery, it may have felt like you pooped your baby out, but you did not. And so your vagina will be a little sensitive on day one, for sure. And as you have your first bowel movement, remember that fecal matter is going to come down. It's going to push and actually support your vagina as it comes through. So psychologically, some of us get frightened and nervous about having that first bowel movement. But try and remember, you did not actually have your baby through your rectum. And it's a little bit more comfortable than you may think. If you're still really nervous about it, you can take your ibuprofen or Tylenol about a half hour before you think you're going to go and sit on the toilet to, to have a bowel movement. And that can just ease your mind a little bit. Always use your peri bottle. You don't need to use toilet paper right now. So fill that little peri bottle with warm water and use it while you're peeing because that will eliminate the stinging from any little hairs you may have had around the outside. Ensure that when you are feeding your baby, that you're drinking lots of water at that time. So maybe fill a water bottle and have it next to you and ensure that you're eating your meals. Have good balanced meals three times a day and continue to have your snacks. Okay. Your body now needs the nutrition to heal from the labor and delivery to return you to pre-pregnancy health. What else? So mm, thank you yeah. for joining me today, Dr. Inara been great information to share with our listeners. Thanks for joining us on Babies Out. Now what? Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast below and check out the show notes. Let us know what questions and topics you're thinking about or what great ideas you have. We'd love to feature these on future podcasts. As a reminder, the contents of these podcasts are not meant for clinical advice, though we may discuss normal physiology and other details related to pregnancy, postpartum, breastfeeding, normal newborn behavior, and more. Always consult your healthcare provider for assessment and advice if you have any concerns about yourself or your baby. Visit our website at www.babiesout.com and download your personal journal.
Please join me for the next episode of Babies Out. Now what?